Borak Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 113rd episode of Space Spinner 2000. Oh <laughs> podcast where two Americans <laughs> try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode recovered 2000 AD for March and April 1984, progs 362 to 365. This week, Johnny Alpha gets outlawed, slain heists a dragon, Dread checks out high society, and DR and Quinch go to Hollywood. It's a, it's a fucking exciting month. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to us talking about this. Me too. If you want to read with, read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread, The Complete Case Files 7, Strong Team Dog, The SD Agency Files 2, Rogue Trooper Tales of New Earth 2, Slain Time Killer, The Complete DR and Quinch, and The Complete Future Shocks Volume something or other. Uh, they haven't come out yet, but I'm future-proofing this podcast. They'll probably be out at some point. <laughs> I should mention, uh, someone mentioned to me that, you know, I'm saying these big ones, but a lot of these stories are, are classic, so they're um, collected in a lot of places. And that's definitely oh, really? true. Like, if you go in, like, Barney for these issues and see, like, where things are collected... Almost everything that, that, that that's not a future shock has been collected in at least like six six to ten p- uh, places. But I'm just I just list these uh, collections because they seem like the uh, the ones that are in print and available at least in digital form and sort of seem like the most bang for your buck in terms of overall story. So that's my that's my reasoning, I guess. <laughs> Conrad's reasoning corner. That's right. And speaking of good plans, it's time for <laughs> through one slain. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, script robot Pat Mills, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, letting robot Tom Frame. Man, last we left our heroes, let's go get us a dragon. Exactly. Yeah. So ne- so there's, there's this lady, Nest. She is a college-educated owner of a dragon farm, and some local dude, uh, Guwahal, has just been killed by a dragon. So his family have decided to blame her and are about to execute her on the road. When Slane intervenes, he's doing so to later steal her dragon to ride home in style. Just FYI. <laughs> it's ridiculous, this story. Yeah. They exchange insults and kick for the fishwife. Um, asks them not to fight, but it's too late. Slane takes a mallet blow to the head with seemingly no effect. He cuts Which a dude's. Which was awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. He then cuts that dude's face off, but it's not showing on screen. <laughs> on screen. But they do. I mean, they show him with his axe under the dude's chin, and then that dude doesn't show up anymore. And axe and Slane's axe is covered in blood. So I think we can put it all together. Uh, it's fine, right? Everything's fine. It's pretty. It's a whatever. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> Slane starts taking guys out, and the, uh, the other, uh, and when another one surrenders, Slane has the other ones bury him alive, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> and they just do it because I guess he'll just kill you otherwise. Yeah, listen, I mean, you know, Slane's like, I mean, let's go back to our D and D metaphors, where Slane's just like a level ten dude hanging out with a bunch of level zero dudes. Like they don't really offer him a lot of challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Nest is saved, and Ucko is suddenly interested um, when he finds out that uh, the Nooker, her uh, her flying dragon, has a dragon horde, which is always always important because we need this gold. Yeah, man, money, and I guess it took him this long to realize it, and Slain had figured it out like a while back. I mean, you know, a lot of times when you're like when you're saying no to something, you just say no. You don't think about think the whole plan through. You know, that's fair. <laughs> So Slane asks for a job at Nest's Dragon Ranch, and and she agrees. 
Um, it seems that they breed dragons to uh, um, harvest their crystal skulls and jeweled <laughs> eyes, which is pretty cool, honestly. <laughs> I It's the best reason for doing a dragons because they've always kind of been like i remember seeing a cartoon or something where they had to like feed rubies to dragons like i've always had this kind of dragon horde connection in my brain yeah i mean dragon this yeah. just like doubles down on that i mean yeah dragons always have treasure you know like you're like your your smogs and lord of the rings or just your D mm. dragons and stuff but i like this one because it actually makes the dragons themselves treasure you know that it's like so great that like a dragon's horde could like certainly made up of human wealth, but could also just start off as being like the dead, the crystalline bones of other dragons that have died. You know, <laughs> um, so awesome. Yeah, we uh, so we head to the farm. We pass this old dragon sacrifice post and discuss okay. the matter, the most ferocious of all the old wild dragons. But surely they all died out in the last ice age, right? Nah, man, because we see the matter and all its terrifying glory fly through the forest, hunting down a deer. We saw it last episode, too. Oh, it's real cool. Dude, they, I love how it goes into this excruciating detail of they're blowing fire on the ground to create thermal updraft for them to fly. Yeah. No, that's really neat. Like, it's, it's really cool story build or world building stuff that I appreciate. Yeah, they really do a lot to sort of like they do some things to kind of make it seem like okay. So if like there if there was a dragon, like why would the things we know about dragons be true and stuff? Which I think is really neat. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we go to Worm's Head Farm where we see dragons breathing fire and being fed goats, and it remains real cool. Um, at the farm we meet Nest's uncle, Krug of the Brawny Arm, with his cool mustache and afro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, while it's technically Nest's Not so farm, cool disposition. Yeah. It turns out that she won't actually be... She won't actually own it until she's 21, and Krug uh-huh. intends to work her hard until then, complete with slaps across the face. Uh, Slain introduced... to just, like, straight-up murder her. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah, he's not going to let her inherit it, you know? It's definitely, like, there's, uh, whatever, planning and, yeah, evil schemes and stuff. And But Slain doesn't care. He's, like, not... He doesn't get involved in family business. <laughs> and also, like, he beats his dwarf, like, all the time, and it seems to really help with the whole situation, so who yeah. am I to judge? Not against the domestic violence, I suppose. Jesus. Um, the next day, Slain learns dragon handling. There's a cool part where you have to, like, do, like, the circus trick of, like, breathing fire to make the dragons think you're a dragon as well. Um, Jeez. And I like Krug's look here just because he he's wearing, like, clothes that are made of dragon hide and stuff, which I think is very mm-hmm. neat. Uh, Sl- so Slain goes to work. He even kills a dragon for its rich ass skull. He just cu- you know cuts its head <laughs> off with a brain biter and stuff. Which what the hell? And then they strip it of its flesh and skin. Yeah, I mean it's just like you know there's like I remember there was a Dirty Jobs episode where he goes to like a gator farm and it feels pretty similar to that. You know? Oh God! You know he had to farm these things. Um, <laughs> Krug tells them where the dragon horde is just so they don't try to get it because it's in the cave of the nooker so stay away or he will eat you and then at that night everyone's eating at the hut and Krug finds Nest's poems from drag from Druid College and he makes which, a re- oh good yeah like it's basically a hey let's listen to all the dumb stuff you learned in, in college turned on its head to be Actually, I learned about, learned about a death realm, basically. Yeah, well, she tell she reads a poem, which is a druid tale of the future, which is about the uh, 
the Britain leader, uh, Canvalan, mm-hmm. being defeated by the Saxon invaders, sort of. I guess in like the 800s or something like that. But that's when the Saxons kicked the Britons off of the British Isles and over to, to Brittany in like northwestern France, you know? Jesus. Um, it's a sad story though. I mean, it's about the, the Britons. It, it, it's about these great, these warriors being defeated and stuff. And Slame's bummed out by it, but Krug is angered and he throws the poems into the fire because he's a jerk. It's like future poems. That's some Nostradamus yeah, shit, it's man. It's like some magic druid poems, dude. Um, yeah. but it seems like, um, as like Slain laughs along with that, he's really hitting it off with Krug, which is going to make stealing that dragon all the easier. <laughs> <laughs> it really is just all in service of getting a sweet dragon ride. Absolutely. So next we open with uh, Mata going out from its hiding place at the bottom of a dried up old well where it's hibernated for centuries, escaping the re- attacks of ancient humans. But now it's alive and it's on the loose. While at the dragon farm, Nest is conf- uh, Nest confronts Slain and Uko about stealing the Nooker, and she basically asks Slain to take her with him because she, she knows Krug is going to try to kill her to take control of the farm. Uh, he refuses, despite the fact that she can easily handle the dragon and he'll have a lot more trouble with it. But I mean, I guess he just super doesn't care about that. Absolutely. They do eventually seem to have come to an agreement when Krug calls for Nest... And so she decides to ply him with ale until he's drunk, and then they can ride out. Meanwhile, Sweet. oh God, uh, Kikva, the fishwife, is burying her son as the Mata is on the attack. He like swings by the ancient feeding post we saw earlier, and then you know, remembering the good old days, it actually says "good times" in the, in the I've comic, loved which that. I appreciated um, in a big way. And it's just this dragon ripping apart women. Yeah. It then moves through the empty village because everybody's at the funeral, except for Gual's wife, who's sick with grief, and the Mata charms her with its crystal eyes and eats her in her own bed. Uh, Meanwhile, Slain and Uko are going after the Nooker using a variation of the toad-in-the-throat scheme from the first Slain story. The Nooker is hungry. Uh, Krug usually (sighs) takes it a goat at night, and he hasn't yet. And it can smell the matter in its territory, so it's getting real pissed. The boys let it flame itself out and then sneak in and put a riding harness on the beast while Uko picks the lock, chaining it down. Back at the ranch, we see um, Krug getting suspicious when Ness is nice to him, and he realizes Slane's plan. Meanwhile, the nooker begins to awaken as Uko's still picking the lock. And that's a big cliffhanger. But then we get back in, and it's like he's able to pick <laughs> the lock just... right away. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the usual stuff, right? Like, cliffhanger immediately uh, just excused. It's yeah. You know, it's, well, it's just one of those things where, like, it's a much better cliffhanger if there's a week in between pages, right? Well, that's true. <laughs> right? Like, right? You, you kind of want to move on from, like, getting people stoked to getting them to, I don't know, riding a dope-ass dragon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you know, you gotta still be like, "Ooh, what's gonna happen?" And then you come in like, "Oh, okay, that was handled." That's exactly. Now what we're I mean. yeah, now we're on to the cool, sp- the cool stuff. Yeah, so they get so the boys climb aboard the Nooker. Otto or Oko wonders if they should wait for Nest, who could teach them how to fly the piece. But buddy, it's too late now. 
It's dragon riding time. So I guess just like maybe I'll warp spasm at some point. I'll we'll figure it out. Ride or die, buddy. Meanwhile, That's what I'm talking about. back at the village, Kikva's family finds uh, Guol's wife killed. Um, you know, killed by the dragon. So it's time to just get a lynch mob going. Essentially, oh um, god. They, and, like, every brother, I guess, is behind this. Yeah. I mean, they're just like, listen, like, we're tired of this dragon killing our family, man. <laughs> but they express that with my favorite phrase ever, which is, of course not, mother. You'll always get the bathwater first in our house. <laughs> that's, that's disturbing. <laughs> so the basic plan is they're going to capture Nest Tired to the dragon post, which will lure in the dragon, and they're going to kill that dragon. Uh, people in the village are kind of nervous about this, but Kikva threatens them with her fishwife powers, <laughs> which I think is pretty awesome. Uh, Nest is kit is is taken as slain, and Uko fly overhead, trying to use the flesh fork to get the dragon to fly the way they want. It is not going well. Um, plus the Nook has just been tied in a cave for a long time. So he doesn't so even, a little bit confused. Yeah, he doesn't even know how to fly that well anymore. And then Uka's just, uh, shouting insults. <laughs> Nest is tied to the posts and thinks she's been saved when a winged shadow appears over the moon. But it's the matter! Oh man, bad news. It really wants to eat you. Yeah, the evil wild dragon. Nest holds her breath as the dragon approaches, denying it the golden cloud that a scream of fear produces. It is like, you know, because it's seasoned like infrared and stuff, so like a scream Mm. looks like a a cloud that's golden in color because of the heat from the human body. Um... So it start, the dragon approaches and kind of like snuffles around her. And so the, and so Kickfuzz is like, ah, attack the dragon. And one guy like <laughs> fires an arrow at it and is instantly incinerated, which is pretty awesome. It's great. Meanwhile, in the sky above, the Nooker and Slain have bonded as kindred savage spirits. And now they are more than the sum of their parts. They are dragon and dragon master. Man, uh, we just got us a dragon ride. It's real Fully good. upgraded. Yeah. Let's go save Ness, man. It'll be awesome. Next time, when dragons fall. I don't know if the listeners can tell that we like this story. <laughs> oh, super hype. Super I, it was so hype. enjoyable. It was just like uh, beat for beat, just like cool dragon. What, what I would call a dragon heist has been happening. Yeah, this is definitely a full-on dragon heist. They're stealing this. Th- they've stolen this dragon successfully. Everything else is just sort of extra stuff, you know. It was it was awesome. Just like all of the setup was just like, yep, just trick people and don't give a fuck until we. <laughs> nah. Yeah, we're just gonna lie. Listen, whatever. It's Ocean's Eleven, except instead of a a giant vault at the bottom of a casino, it's a dragon. Yeah, and there's two of them. Anyhow, <laughs> but speaking of dynamic pairs, Fox. Oh, we go to Thrill to Dear and Quinch. My bros are back in yeah. a great, great fucking story. This is a good one. Script robot Alan Moore, art robot Alan Davis, letting robot Steve Potter. Dr. and Quinch go to Hollywood. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we start off with our guys blowing up a photo booth. It might be symbolic. <laughs> DR and Quint are hanging out at a bus station 
when an old guy shows up and asks them for money and like energy because he asks for a credit amount and likes for some uh, some millijoules or something. Yeah, it was weird. But who knows about this space stuff? He wants to get a cup of coffee. Um, he's clearly messed up and smelly, and that's the way Dr. and Quinch like him. <laughs> They, I guess, like, or at least are willing to tolerate his yeah. being around them. They get him the coffee, and he tells his tale. He used to be a Hollywood big shot screenwriter. God, uh, Hollywood is a land of abbreviations, and apparently this guy, TJ, developed writer's block, and it was TTFY. Oh, my God. But he but, got two tickets back to Hollywood, which <laughs> I loved the physical manifestation of them actually being two tickets, but also yeah. hilarious. Yeah, just, hey, if you ever get over your writer's block, kid, come back to Hollywood. We'll make you a star. It's awesome. You know, stuck, unable to figure out anything to write, TJ hit the skids, getting drunk on G&T, S&S, and BMs. And that just sort of was what he had for 10 years. Oh, my God. He never used those tickets until now. Because uh, he's finally written the perfect story. It'll get him back in the big time. He's super stoked about it. So stoked that he falls down dead. It's oh, my God. a super tragic turn of fate. And DR and Quinch are so moved by it that they resolve not to rummage through his pockets to find the screenplay and tickets to Hollywood for like a whole two minutes. Which... <laughs> I mean, really impressive. Like, Absolutely. That's easily a record. <laughs> they, like, walk past and say, oh, we shouldn't do it. Then they just, um, you just see a panel of them walking back, then looking back, then running back, you know? It's like, <laughs> or real walking great. away, looking back, running back. Yeah. I, I love, like, the start of this is already good, and it just gets better. Absolutely. So, uh, DR and Quinch have arrived in Hollywood. It's a planet, man. And any similarities between the former, ho- the, ho- the Hollywood on the former planet Earth is just a <laughs> coincidence, dude. <laughs> like, don't read into it too much. Yeah. The uh, one mugging and clothes stealing later, the boys are ready to fit in. <laughs> um, I really like how they mug these two guys. There's one fat guy and one thin guy. And uh, when they mug them, uh, DR puts on the fat guy's clothes and Quinch puts on the thin guy's clothes. <laughs> it's it's perfect. And they're just wearing like super like stereotyp like they got like like I think Quinch Quinch is like a visor and like a uh, like th- a thing with big lapels and a frilly wig <laughs> and like Quinch is wearing like jod purrs and a big floppy hat and uh, and a monocle and stuff. It's awesome. It's real good. They, and then the immediate next page is them flying through a window. In well, yeah, a because arc. because D- Dr knows the four rules of Hollywood, which is like <laughs> make a big entrance, get noticed. And he forgot the other two. <laughs> Which, really good. Because they just, like, just by acting like huge dicks, everybody just starts talking about Absolutely, them. Absolutely, yeah. They blast into a fancy restaurant and start ordering outlandish things. In this case, uh, lobsters in Prussian blue waistcoats. <laughs> waistcoats. Which... And so they instantly get not noticed. This restaurant's full of Hollywood characters. Caricatures, Fox. Absolutely. Starting with uh, Alfred Hitchcock as BD, who's maybe like a reporter or a socialite or something. Yeah, I don't know. But he asks DR what's up if he's going to make like a classic film here. And DR and DR's like, a classic film? Pff, I make legendary films. And he's like, legendary I only use films. the top two actors, yeah, not like, the top five. Like, you need the big six. He's like, big six? I use the big two. Yeah. And the big two, that means it's either Marlon or Bert. Whoa. Oh, my God. Everybody's going to whisper. So the restaurant is above with whispers about all this. And there's a ton of celebrity cameos here. There's a Jake and Elwood Blues from the Blues Brothers. 
I know those guys right away. But for a lot of the rest ones, I want to shout out uh, the 2000 AD Hall Hall of Homage website for helping me identify this big room of cameos, including Be- uh, Betty Davis, Robert Redford, John Hurt, uh, The Elephant Man, uh, John Merrick, uh, John Cleese in the role of the waiter for Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. <laughs> Um, Otto Preminger, David Lean, and Britt Eklund. We also then see one of the big two, Marlon and his friends, clearly based on uh, Burt Lancaster and Peter Lorre, telling him that this new film is down to him or Burt and incest with incensed that his rival might get in a legendary film instead marlin storms over and demands that dr put him in his picture and that would be his first film being made in five years marlin is a big guy who's nigh who has a nigh incomprehensible speech pattern so it's cool (laughs) suddenly people are crawling all over each other to give dr money to make this movie the boys oh my god (laughs) it's awesome this is how it goes you know, um, a young mechanic can be a panic with just a good-looking uh, hand, you know? Uh, anyhow, the wow. boys pilot Beatty's car, and Beatty asks them about the script. <laughs> uh, yeah, about that. We got the script. It's from this TJ guy. Beatty's like, oh, that's amazing. As you know, After all these years, has TJ got over the fact that his handwriting is completely incomprehensible to anybody else? And <laughs> DR decides to look at the script for the first time at oh, this point. Uh, what's the name of the movie? Uh, the third word is probably oranges in the title. <laughs> I love how the next episode is something, something, oranges, something. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, DR is happy on the outside, but sad on the inside as he's at the height of Hollywood fame, but he also understands about eight words of his script, which apparently has 57,000 pages. That might be Oof. a DR ex- um, exaggeration, but there do seem to be a lot of pages. <laughs> <laughs> I knows, mean, enough to where it looks like thicker than a book. Yeah, he knows the first, the, uh, there's the word oranges in the title, and one of the last words, one of the last sentences of the thing is, close the curtains, Jeffrey, I'm amphibious at the end. It's pretty rough. <laughs> but he's not quite sure about the amphibious part. Yeah, we see them. Wa- we, we see him wandering through this Hollywood set with all this crazy stuff going on, including like uh, crab robot ladies and stuff. It's, it's ridiculous. Oh. Um, Eventually, though, they're starting shooting, and Marlon wants to read the script. Uh, DR hands it over, and Marlon looks at it, declares it a masterpiece. Or a masterpiece. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> he grabs a page from it and delivers an incredible, emotive, and powerful monologue of completely incomprehensible gibberish. <laughs> and everyone is just stunned. Applauds and it is awestruck. At this point, uh, Marlon's manager, who looks like Lee Marvin, takes DR aside and confesses that Marlon's completely unable to read, but that this, because this combines with no one's ability to understand what he's saying, makes it all work out okay. He, uh, gives DR a payoff to keep it a secret, and then just kind of asks, uh, what kind of movie this is gonna be? Um, after getting a word in the script deciphered, he, DR says maybe it's set in a submarine? And what kind of movie is it? Buddy, it's a disaster movie. Oh, God. <laughs> Such a good punchline. Next time, The Towering Orange. <laughs> oh, God. Man, like, just the the second story of this, uh, of these four progs, and already it's, like, funny, it's awesome, it's snappy, like... I really like this DR and Quinch story, man. Yeah, it's a really good one, for sure. It's it's, it, it's a classic one, I think, for sure. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, speaking of uh, of the dead causing you problems, Fox? 
Oh, <laughs> all I mean, I guess just always, right? Yeah. Who am I going to call? Going to call uh, Side Division because it's Thrill 3, Judge Dread. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to come, like, after 1985, I want to see the Side Division throwing, like, ghost With catchers. The, yeah, proton packs and stuff. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. So, script rebuff for Judge Dredd, John Wagner and Alan Grant as T.B. Grover. Art rebuff Brett Ewens and Ian Gibson as Emberton. Letter rebuff Tom Frame. The Okay, so Sector House 9 is being haunted. It's gone. Yeah, it's being haunted by a being that's between life and death, and now the whole place is coming down. Mountain bikes, the remaining judge ride, the judges ride out. This is all just sort of a recap of what happened last week. Um, but Omar ju- looking badass. Yeah, chief side, uh, head of side division Omar with his judge helmet turban and stuff. It's real cool. Oh. <laughs> the uh, but Dread has a plan. In fact, the giant mouth that. The giant ghostly mouth that yelled at him last issue had some very distinctive <laughs> dental work, which he remembers. Well, um, hey, he's got a he's got a laser. He's, he's got like an incredibly powerful memory, you know. Um, very clearly. So when that tooth data is fed into the computer, it spits out the name of Leroy Tamerlane, a uh, top-ranked side criminal that was killed in a judge fight with Judge Berg or a gunfight with Judge Berger two days ago. Or was he? <laughs> After killing Tamerlane, it seems that Berger just left the body there for a few hours before calling Recyc, which is totally against procedure. Why'd he do hey, that? What the hell? Tamerlane! <laughs> um, he must use his psychic powers to make the judges think he was dead and also get a victim to take his place. Let's head over to his house at Bleak Mansion to settle this haunting! Uh, side Judge Omar at, at the mansion, which is real cool looking. Uh, side, oh, man. Side, Chief Side Chief Chief Side Chief Omar bleh, is picking up powerful psychic emanations, and Dread opens up the place, and we and we head in. Some quick checking finds a door hidden behind a bookcase. <laughs> so fast and so great. They don't key, man. They got the they can they can beat this stuff easy, man. They got procedures for it. Um, <laughs> That's so wonderful. And through that door, they find a coffin being tended to by machines, and in that coffin is Tamerlane. Oh my god! Gut reaction. Let's just shoot him. Yeah. The problem is that he's got a psi amplifier, increasing his power a thousandfold. So when Judge Berger shoots him, it just gets deflected by a force field from the amplifier. And now you've got a spoopy mohawk ghost shooting yeah. psi beams at you. Now he's pissed. Tamerlane animates as a as a psychic ghost and starts tossing everything around. Judge Patel starts falling into the liquid floor. Psychic energy's frying everybody's brain. When suddenly Dredd has an idea. He can't shoot the Psy Amplifier, but he can shoot the power that controls the Psy Amplifier. He does that, and the machine turns off. I feel like he's done this one before, by the way. Just one of those things. Oh, of course. Where he just shoots the power junction box instead of the actual machine. Um, And it's like, no one else thought of this. I mean, that's why Dredd's the law, buddy. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so the machine turns off and the effects of the Psy Amplifier arrive, which means that uh, Tamerlan has traded life for power and he now disintegrates into dust. It's all over. For now, at least. My God. Tamerlan's mad thirst for revenge. <laughs> Turn to dust. It's cool. Ah! Oh, no. Now I gotta saying. do that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, his his thirst for power left him dry. All right. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Oh my god. So uh Gibson takes over on art 
as the um, as we go to the Nelson Rockefeller or- orbital suburb, a new space living satellite owned by Baxter Parks III. It offers a luxury living situation far from the pollution, crime, and poor people of Terrestrial <laughs> Mega City One. Um, it's all good. It's all good at least until Judge Dredd shows up. Uh, I should say that in his artwork, uh, Ian Gibson's going crazy with Judge Dredd shoulder pads I, in this issue. I wanted to say it was just like. They're so comically large. Yeah, no, he's just like, he's more shoulder pad than man at this point. It's awesome. (laughs) But he shows up and says, there's a law in the Mega City books that says all new housing must donate 29% of its space for public housing under the Slum Clearance Act of 2105. Um, Do you you feel like maybe, like, so the chief judge could send any, uh, like judge up to a super rich people space station mm-hmm. to tell them go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, but do you think that she chose Judge Dredd for like a particular reason? I mean, it's maybe hard because to, yeah. he literally gives zero fucks. <laughs> it's hard to tell because I feel like, like you know, Dredd's the judge we know, but yeah, I, um, a lot of judges seem have seem to have similar mo- moods as Dredd. You know, I don't want to prescribe a hey, certain level. Anderson. Like, the perfect judge. Man, Anderson's a side judge. That's a whole different thing. Like, Hershey would do all this shit. Like, she's not, like, she, That's she, fair. she'd take you down, but I, you know? But who was the dude with the mustache that died in that thing where we met Hershey? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Judge uh, Lopez? Yeah. Like, Judge Lopez didn't seem like a dude who would be just, like... You'd be like, okay. listen, man. Yeah, don't assume Judge Lopez is a bro just because he's got a mu- he's got a, uh, a a non-regulation mustache. All right, that's all I'm all, saying that's is all that, I'm warning like, you about. <laughs> he's got a non-regulation mustache. He'd probably do that. He may judge. Nah, I mean, at the very least, what lo- what a a a, 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 a less strict than dread judge would do would be to not house the twenty nine percent. Um, uh, part of the uh fr- from the slums and like the middle of the of, <laughs> from the middle thoroughfare of the suburb, <laughs> and like let them like sort of be like you know allow the guy to segregate them off or something like that. Not that I'm oh. like a fan. I'm actually like you know like they have. Oh, I'm pro judge Shredder. Yeah, because they have rules like this in real life where yes. um. You know, you have to, when you build a new building, you have to provide a certain amount of low-income housing or something like that. I'm in favor of that, less in favor of the uh, description of, of uh, poor people as just being, uh, just destroying everything they touch. That's less cool in this comic, but whatever. Which is exactly <laughs> what follows through to the rest yeah. of this, by the way. So Dredd basically says that, yeah, all citizens must help their fellow man improving, improve their living situation or else. <laughs> a whole bunch of slummies are screened and allowed aboard Nelson Rockefeller, where they immediately start throwing cans and messing up the place. Soon oh, afterwards, the they're whole... super hot about the whole place not being graffitied up, and Absolutely. that they're going to be the first ones to crest that dune. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> a uh, uh, so soon, the whole place is full of garbage, head lice, rad fleas, and graffiti. The crime Great. is rampant. The uh, rich folks who uh, moved to space to get away from all this want their money back, and soon the orbital suburb is 100% public housing. The city buys the whole place, and Baxter Parks III is reduced to living in the gutter, and the Nelson Rockefeller suburb is the first orbital slum. Well, and it just says spug, spug off in giant letters on the outside. <laughs> it's great. It's awesome. And, and yeah. also, when you can tell that this was written by 
uh, British people and not Americans, because I would just say spug, y'all. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't want to. Yeah, p- certainly possible. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> speaking <laughs> speaking like, of speaking of slums, though, uh, Ruben Hank is on the run in the Old Town section of Mega City One as Dread and a few other judges spread out to look for him. Hank tries to hide in a boarding house, claiming that he's looking for a room and he's on welfare, and that's what the two old ladies that run the place want to hear. They sweetie tot him down into the basement, which is, of course, using a trap door and sort of a Victorian-inspired building. <laughs> and Sorry, that one's for me, maybe. Um, and wow. They say they'll lock him up and claim his welfare check forever. It's the house on Runner's Walk. This is kind of creepy, right? Yeah, this is a super gothic, like, dread story for sure. And honestly, it feels like a reference to, like, a couple other stories that I can think of, too. Oh, for sure. Like, it's got a very, like, yeah, like, sort of, like, Alfred Hitchcock Presents kind of feel to it or something. Mm. Um Anyhow, so they they start drilling into his brain to fit it with a module to make him docile. When there's a knock at the door, it's dread, <laughs> and he's looking Isn't for this. It always, yeah, he's looking for this Hank guy. The old ladies say they haven't seen him, but now they're unhappy because they're trying to do their con on a common criminal who can't even pull a check. So what the heck? They don't want criminals m- mucking up their boarding house. So instead, they call down their other lar- uh lodgers who are sort of brain-dead, like, zombie men, and have them beat Hank to death and Which, then jump his body I mean, someplace. Hey, great. That's just good landlady-ship, you know? I guess. <laughs> so Hank's body is found, and the only clue on him is that the body is covered in rat hair from low-rent furs. Dread re- weird. You saw that, I guess, on those women? Yeah, well, he notices that they're both wearing fur stoles. Um, and just decides to go check him out. He talks to him, and their story immediately cr- uh, fails in the face of a Justice Department oh. lie detector. So they try and to Sweeney Todd him, too. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to give a shout-out to the back of Dredd's knee pads in this comic. Which I don't know if you noticed, but, uh, like, yeah, they're massive in the front, but they have the most ridiculous tie in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the detail on his outfit. Nice. Yeah, you don't see the back of those knee pads very often, I gotta mm-hmm. say. So yes, yeah, so, so they try to Sweeney Todd him, but Dredd saves himself, and when you uh, save yourself from being Sweeney Todded, you have a Judge Turpin your way out. Um, anyhow, oh, um, wow. at, at this point, the jig is up, and the ladies admit everything. They've been doing this for like 16 years, but they lost, they lost it all because of how they treated Hank. He just wasn't their kind of gentleman. Not at all. Oh, wow. Next time, it's monkey business, which means it's time for the mayoral election in Mega City 1. It's going to be really awesome. Oh, my God. Are you serious? <laughs> There's an orangutan involved. Anyhow. Oh, speaking. my God. Why would you tell me that? And I'm so excited. You're, you should be excited, man. It's real cool. Speaking of a lack of excitement, though, it's oh. non-thrills, covers, and nerve centers. In 362, on your bike, Dread. Dread rolls out of Sector House Nine. This Brett Ewan's cover. A lot of there's a lot of covers for the Sector House Nine story, which I think is pretty cool, actually. Mm. Um, in the Nerve Center, Tharg the in oh, what did I say is that the inscrutable? Inscrutable. Yeah, Tharg the. But, ins- I do- but he looks like a sphinx. Like I don't get it. Yeah, it's because well, a sphinx is mysterious, right? And being inscrutable is like when you, you someone holds secrets that 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 you can't determine. You know. I um, guess. But he tells him about this coming slain act. 
answer section later in the Prague. There's a pic of a rogue trooper and, uh, uh, which is rogue trooper with good old Rojas. Uh, letters involve 2080 healing the sick, 2080 wallpaper, what? a pun about washing, pa- washing powder, and Tharg being on TV for the show called the six o'clock show. Yeah, like someone like, you know, read a thrill and like fixed their broken leg or something. <laughs> oh, that's not. All right. Listen, That's people fine. just send fun things to get printed in here, you know? <laughs> That's fair. At the end of the prog, there's an info page which gives just definitions of a whole bunch of terms for the Dragon Heist story in, in awesome. Slain. Yeah, I really like this especially because it gives a location for the story in real life, mm-hmm. which is the uh, the island of Wormshead in Gower, Wales. A Jesus. A little island um, that can only be accessed during low tide, which is pretty neat. Cool. It just sort of, you know, it, it sort of just fills in this sort of this thing we've we've talked about a little bit with Slam, which is how it's before this big flood when like what we what is now um, like the Irish Channel, I guess, is com- almost completely above water and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So I think it's pretty good. Uh, there's also an ad for White Dwarf in here, which is funny for me as a Warhammer player because at this point it's wow. just a general RPG magazine of just like modules and adventure stuff. Whereas today it's the company organ. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, it's just a magazine that that's designed to sell you Warhammer stuff basically. Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's a star pinup of Tharg fighting Soldark from last episode. Yawn. Though I do like that it's courtesy yes. of, the, of the Pluto Herald. Oh my god. Next prog 363. Their name is Styx. They have murder in mind. Oh, it's so awesome. Yeah, Carlos Escara getting us started on this new Shranium Dog story with the return of Styx. Uh, uh. And it's not just one. No, it's, it's two. two. Yeah, we got a half-size nerve cover this week with a big ad for the debut of the comic Scream, which I'm, I've, I've actually heard good things about. Um, we sort of talked about it in the... In, in last episode, I talked about it with Stephen Reed during the 2080 uh, uh, summer special. He highly recommends it. I'm checking it out. Um, Dare you look inside, Conrad? Man, I don't care about no... I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Let's bring that back. Um, That's anyhow, great. <laughs> it's a half-size nerve center this week. Yes, I said that. Uh, basically, DR Tharg is doing some traffic control for new and ending stories. And uh, letters <laughs> include questions about girl readers, Tharg's wife... And a prog sent in the mail being stolen by the po- by the post office. Oh my gee! Yeah, the uh, the back cover has some Ars Gratia Thargus, which is art for Tharg's sake. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which has some nice Tharg picks, including a window th- uh, cleaner Tharg, the Tharg Baron, and a cricket playing Ian Botharg, a reference to cricket star Ian Botham or Botham. I don't oh. know. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. 364. Oh, a bunch of slummies moving next door to a bunch of rich guys. Gross. And Dredd, there's some yeah. kids stealing from me. That's right. Dread is dealing with high society. In the nerve yep. center, Tharg Snork warns oh us that the uh, Strontium Dog and DR and Quinch stories are really good. It's the Blood Thrill Circuit. So, you know, keep, keep ahead. Yep. And there's a pic of Judge Dreadlock with a boombox. Yes. Requests for a planetary reassignment, annual compliments, a letter from France, questions about Judge Dredd getting paid, and a mum that burned dinner when she saw Dredd smirking in Prague 355. Oh, my God. My mum burned dinner when she saw Dredd smile. Anyhow, um... 
Wow. Prog 365, I, Tharg, bring you thrill power. Man, it's a real uh, self-gratifying cover. Yeah, just a full-on Tharg cover here. Drawn by Robin Smith, full-face Tharg. And a nerd center, Thargzan, once again reminds us that the 2080 offices have no progs, annuals, or specials for sale. But you can check out local comic book shops or even jumble sales to find them. (laughs) Hey, you never know what you might find. Like a priceless artifact of the past yeah nowadays i'd suggest rooting around the, the uh, dark web but be be prepared for danger oh. <laughs> <laughs> there are letters asking for the return of bert and a cat that won't stop destroying kids progs shout out to podcat anyhow uh towards wow. the end of the prog dude she's she's in here right now yeah she won't she's destroy a prog. absolutely uh-huh. towards the end of the prog there's an ad for the astronomy game by Patrick Moore, who will remember from his article about how time travel would work in Prague 151, in 141, but non-Americans will probably know from decades of educational TV programming. <laughs> yes. This prog ends. Sliders. Yeah, absolutely. Whoa. This prog ends with an <laughs> offer to purchase some cameras or a t-shirt Ugh. from Weedabix. Uh, and I'm super bummed that they're just regular cameras and they don't yep. like have Weedabix branding on it or like they look like a big Weedabix with like a lens in it or something. They really missed out. This is how you know the 80s from the 90s. Yeah. The 80s, they'll give you that thing that they can get. But in the 90s, it's like it's an uncomfortable, like s- smells like super plastic camera that also looks like a weed yeah 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 in the 80s you get a phone in the 90s you get a football phone <laughs> oh my god i love you <laughs> gotta get that football phone but speaking of exciting new thrills fox it's thrill four strontium dog oh man i've been waiting for this yeah buddy alan grant and john wagner is alan grant uh, art robot Carlos Escare, learning robot Jack Potter. So Barney says that it's just Alan Grant doing this writing. I'm skeptical just because these two guys are working together all the time. So I'm just going to give J- uh, John Wagner some some shine in here. Um, they also like in the sh- in the store page for this, they list Wagner as a as a co-author. So I feel like it's more than just Alan Grant doing this writing. I don't know. Okay. Um. Anyhow, this is the start of the Strontium Dog epic tale, Outlaw. Uh, this is another one of these, like, spine stories. Like, if you remember, like, a portrait of a mutant before it, it's one of these ones mm. that's going to go for, like, over 20 weeks, well into the fall of, 1980, of uh, 1984. I'm super excited about it. Fuck off, really? Yeah, this is going to be a long one. It's going to be real exciting. Um, so, you also, Fox, I'm sure, remembers the first sticks from the Schickle Gruber grab way back in oh, uh, yeah. Prague 182. Or in uh, Progs 182 to 188. And just to uh, just to freak you out a little bit, we've now done double the number of episodes and comics for, for when we read those. Shut up. Yeah, because it was like it was like it was a, it was like episode like 56. And Don't we're tell on me like, that. Oh, on God. On like 112 right or 113 right now. That so, doesn't feel that long ago. Freak I'm out. old. Hey man, we're going through it at record pace because we're cool dudes chewing up this back. These are back issues. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> the sticks arrive at jo- at the planet Jock's landing and barge into a meeting hall during the annual fish supper, which is apparently a uh, the Scottish term for fish and chips, but is now some sort of ancient Scottish ritual, space Scott ritual they do uh, on the planet Ock Eleven. All right. <laughs> Goddamn. It's. I mean. So I guess. Yeah. So I guess. 
the Scots call fish and chips uh, a fish supper, which is, I guess, like how c- c- huh. Canadians call Kraft Mac and Cheese Kraft dinner. I'm sure our Scottish listeners are now very angry at me, and for that, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know, your ways are mysterious to us. But uh, these wow. guys, these Scots, these space Scots are toasting the noble flounder and playing bagpipes when the sticks burst in and kill a whole bunch of them. They, yeah, just really just gun them down in cold blood. Yeah, they gra- and then call themselves Johnny and Wolf. Yeah, they grab the survivors and yeah, tell them to say this murder was done by Johnny Alpha and Wolf Sternhammer to frame up. Oh my God, bad news. Yeah, a week later, Wolf and Johnny are taken down a bounty when they come under fire from Pimply Smith, who's got a warrant for their deaths, 50,000 credits each. Uh, luckily, Pimply's quickly taken out by Judo, but this is a worrying situation. They better get back to the doghouse to figure it out. So, we're at the doghouse, the headquarters of the Strontium Dog. Dogs, uh, Johnny and Wolf, arrive to get answers, which seems tough when everybody starts trying to claim the termination <laughs> warrant. Um, Johnny says he's there to turn themselves in because this is all a mix-up, and they confront Harvey, the base director, who doesn't have any sympathy because he shows them a video of a whole bunch of people from Mach 11 fingering Johnny and Wolf for the murders. Yet, mysteriously not describing what they look like. In mm, any way. They talk about the Wolf's hammer, I think, but that's about it. Johnny says it's a setup, but Harvey isn't listening and goes for a gun on his desk. Johnny kicks the desk over, again says he's being framed, and gags Harvey and traps him under the desk as they run out. Mm-hmm. They tell the other dogs, oh yeah, that's fine, just a mistake, whatever. And then they go to their quarters and grab all their It's gear. the Gronk! We see the Gronk! Yeah, they're all out of uh, time bombs, too, which is also a problem. Um, lo- all loaded up. They say They say that the Gronk has to stay put. Because things are about to get way too exciting for his hearts to handle. Which, yeah, I hope is true. Don't worry, you know, don't worry, though. We'll, we'll get more Gronk as the story progresses. Just oh, in case, fucking sweet. In case you're worried. Back in uh, back in Harvey's office, the Sticks bros arrive and let Harvey, knows the bad, Harvey know the bad news. He's been killed by Johnny Alpha and then <laughs> hunt him down. <laughs> oh, my God. So I just really... Out for real-time revenge. They're getting this frame-up going. Harvey's dead. They're killed by Johnny and Wolf. The Stronts are at first pretty stoked about this. They're like, like, he killed Harvey. That's awesome. I'm not going to kill him anyway now. Um, (laughs) But then the bounty comes down 100,000 credits each. Holy shit. That means the guys in the doghouse are all after them. Um, Except for some who have their doubts... Our oh old my friends, Middenface McNulty, Evans the Fist, and the Torso from Newcastle! Oh, hell yeah, dude, they're back, and they're like, basically, they're like, yeah, we don't, there's no way Johnny did this. Yeah, we fought We were by, totally bros back in the war. We fought side by side in the war, there's no way he'd do that. So they decided to start trying to help him out. <laughs> Is pretty so awesome. awesome. I'm so excited. All uh, of those characters are dope. Definitely, they tell uh, they tell uh, the torso to get uh, Young Clacton or something. I forget the name exactly. Whatever. Um, the young fuzz. Yeah, the fuzz. They, they tell him to get the fuzz because remember the the Clacton fuzz was one of the uh, mutants that oh, died yeah. in the course of Porch for the mutant, right? Um, so Johnny and Wolf hear the announcement too, and soon come under the guns of a whole bunch of other strontium dogs. An electro flare lets them escape without hurting any a- any of them, and Johnny then burns through the floor to take a shortcut to the escape pods as uh, as the dogs head to the uh, docking bay instead. But they get redirected to the escape pods by those jerk Dude. stick brothers. So crazy. I hate these 
So as Johnny Wolf head to the pods, they're surprised. It's they're they're trapped next time. A dog's best friend. Oh my god, it's just so awesome, Conrad. I yeah. love this. No, listen. So much. Yeah, it's this great opening of the sticks being all evil, and then you just jump right into action with the with a uh, Johnny and Wolf like blasting their way through the doghouse. Cameo. Then, Cameos! Then we've got the return of all the characters we love from the Portrait of a Mutant storyline, which is so amazing. Oh. Um, and, yeah, now they're, like, in this desperate situation and stuff like that. This one, you know, I had some complaints about, um, what, the Moses Quest storyline, which had, like, kind of a slow open and stuff and kind of did things a little bit. What I love about this story is that we're just immediately... At, in this huge chase, and it's going to go on for a long time and be super awesome. Oh man, I'm so excited! Definitely, this is you know, I mean, like I said, this is the this is the spine of 1983. It's the or 1984, I should say. Um, it's one of these ones that's going to just go, yeah, basically until the fall. Like we're going to go straight from Strunt from the Strontium Dog story to Nemesis Book Four. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and speaking of things that I think are pretty cool, actually, and no. uh, whatever else, we go to 305 Rogue Trooper. Uh, script robot for Rogue Trooper, Jerry Finley Day, art robot Cam Kennedy, lettering robot Bill Nuttall. Okay, so Fox Gunner's been regined, and he seems pretty cool. Um, he's faster and yeah, stronger than Rogue. Than Rogue, but also a little weird. Yeah, he's got psychic powers. It's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Life's hard when you can just psychically call your gun to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, they're heading back to Millicom when they're attacked by deadly Nord zombies. But Gunner doesn't see them because they're actually Nort Dreamweavers. I'm so. This is why I was excited for us to get through this. <laughs> they make camp at a watering hole that uh, Gunner could see from 16 clicks away, and Rogue couldn't. The chips ask Gunner questions about like getting regined and stuff, and like what it's like back there. Um, as Rogue gets water, and there's a giant monster in the lake! But, luckily, it's just more Nort Dreamweavers! But, the movement in the trees isn't, it's a marathon marksman! Which are these guys that are just kind of like snipers that they leave behind for like months on end just to snipe whoever comes by. Which, what the hell? I mean, we've seen these guys before in, in, in Rogue Trooper. Uh, mm-hmm. Rogue tags him with the razor sharp skull of a beast inside the riverbed. Jesus. And then Gunner shows up and shoots him. But why didn't Gunner see the sniper in the first place? And why was he slow, slow to come and save Rogue? Maybe he wants Rogue dead? Oh my god. It, it's just. Uh, it's right, tough. Let's keep Can't trust no, these it's guys. It's more of just like, come on, man. Maybe he doesn't also. That's fair. Still under attack from Dream. Weavers. Uh, Rogue continues to want to uh, worry about Gunner while the chips are super stoked to get regened. Suddenly, they have to get down as Gunner has sensed a Nort scout ship, which he takes down with a mind wave. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I guess he could just have psychic powers he's just, now. He's just a he's just a, a Gene Gray now, I suppose. Um, but behind the scout is a Nort army, way more than these two troopers can handle, so they have to hide in a nearby cave system to wait them out. And when they do, they get some sleep, and Gunner starts shouting he's having bad dreams. You can't make me! I'll never do that! Hey, Conrad, I wonder what is going on now. 
I mean, it's probably just he's got bad. He's probably just like when he was at Millicom and they regened him. They like played a uh, they they played like a futuristic Meatloaf's Greatest Hits album um, <laughs> or something. Because he do anything for love, but he won't do it. You know what I'm talking about. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> the question is: Can uh, Gunner keep a lid on it while the Norts roll past? Gunner wakes up from his nightmare, but doesn't remember it. He then goes down to scout the land as Rogue ruminates on recent events. Um, and uh, he returns and says that the Norts have bivouacked below, says, like, made camp. Mm-hmm. So they'll have to sneak through them to escape. Uh, Gunner takes Bagman and Helm so Rogue can travel light. And then gives Rogue the passcode that the Norts are using. Uh, like, did Dan, you blew or whatever. Um Walking through the night, Rogue goes. He's confronted by a guard. He says the code phrase, but his voice isn't recognized by the Noit, by the Nort voice analyzer. So he's in trouble, dude. Rogue manages. What? Like, how does one dude know a password, but not that there's a voice analyzer? You know what, what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. You're kind of changing course from your previous statement. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> 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 now you feel like you do think Gunner is betraying him. I'm just saying it's, you know, you're putting together pieces here. I'm just saying keep it consistent from one thing to another, bro. <laughs> so, Rogue's in trouble. He manages to take the guard down, but now the camp is crawling with Norts, taking Rogue hours to escape. He rejoins Gunner and the Chips, uh, convinced that Gunner, willingly or not, is betraying him. The question is, was he programmed by Millicom or Ugh. just a bro trying to kill another bro to take his place as a cool dude on New Earth? You know a bro's not going to kill you. It's probably the regening. Seems possible. Next time, Prague, <laughs> Prague 366, friend or foe. So only three rogue troopers this week. I feel like... I feel like more more often than not, he's getting these hints that maybe something ain't right, but it's yeah. not quite Gunner. I mean, I'd I don't know if it was the yelling exposition inside of the cave. Yeah, the uh, the 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 nightmare, the cave nightmare, and just the fact that like now he's got all these mental powers. So they were they had the hood up on his brain anyway. So why not yeah. like make him try to kill Rogue too? You know, I mean, what while you're exactly. down there, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seems it seems sci-fi logical to me. Absolutely. And hey, speaking of uh, standard sci-fi tropes, Fox. Oh God, it's Let's swirl. Thrill six, time twisters, and future shocks. So first one, running out of time. A script robot Chris Louder, art robot Jesus Redondo, and there's no letter, and there's no credit card here, so I'm not sure who who the letterer is. Mm. Uh, pr- probably one of the Potters, just by process of elimination. Anyhow, um. A dirty dude is running out of time. We flash back to him working with Professor Meister. Uh, the two of them arguing about whether time travel is possible, or at least if it can be done without causing crazy paradoxes, messing everything up. Uh, Meister basically theorizes time cop rules for time travel, which is like... So great. If you touch yourself, you sort of just are, are destroyed, basically. Yep. Um, and the pair work themselves mad at trying to get it all working, but when Meister finally managed to perfect time travel using this, the, uh, the other guy, Frank's notes, Frank goes crazy and throws Meister out the window. Stunned, he backs away into the time machine and travels back in time to see himself uh. kill Meister again. 
Oh, God, I just keep warping backwards through time. Yeah, he basically the two of them, like the two Franks scuffle and one thing and another. There's like six of them, basically. (laughs) Um, Jesus. Until finally one of the Franks goes and destroys the machine. But now there's five of them in total. And the Frank with the gun uh, can't just (laughs) kill them because who knows who the real Frank is, I guess. You're Um, all the real Frank, I guess. Yeah, it's something. Uh, Gun Frank kills two of them. (laughs) Um, and then the other is- and, and then escapes he's killed the third one a month ago so now there's just two Franks left but what if the other one is the real Frank he's gotta figure it out soon cause he's running out of time yeah, okay. and that's how it goes yeah whatever man there's a bunch of Franks <laughs> um, that's the whole thing you know I feel like that's that's a better assessment than I could have given it I mean it is one of these things where like you know if there's a version of you, if there's a there's, there's there's an original version of you and a version of you that's like a, a time clone, you know, for my purposes, th- those are the same. For your purposes, they're different, Fox, if you're the oh original Fox versus clone Fox, you know. But to everybody else, there's not a nominal difference. Anyhow, Just as long as there's one of us. That's right. You know, it, yeah, and speaking of being fine. smart, we go to uh, Dead Clever. <laughs> <laughs> oh god script robot alan hebden letter about cliff robinson art robot steve potter uh this is a this is the second future shock in, in Prague 362 and this one's cool because it's the first time we're seeing artist cliff robinson in the main progs he'll go on to do a whole bunch of judge dread and especially a whole bunch of covers he's done over a hundred including one as recently as a like fall of 2017 God damn! I will also commend him for being in a two-page uh, future shock, which Absolutely. I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about him a lot in the sci-fi special episode as well, but he's got a really good, like, Brian Ballin-influenced, like, clean, realistic style that I like a lot. Um, anyhow, this story is about a guy doing industrial espionage against a company making powerful pocket computers. Literally, these things are like a Siri or Alexa on your smartphone. But in 1984, it's enough to make your company like super powerful because you have to sell a bunch of individual ones as computer uh, it's, it's encyclopedias. Which I guess are... Do you want to have spoilers? Yeah, so whatever. This guy checks it in. He's immediately caught, and it turns out that they're using it by taking smart dudes and jamming their brains into computers. So (sighs) now this espionage guy has been turned into an expert brain on industrial espionage. There you go, internet. (laughs) That's right. Our smartphones are full of human brains. Oh, man, I hope so. That makes this so much more cool. I mean, you know, whatever. Who knows what ends up in the Ethos Foxconn factories, right? Um, wow. Jesus, that's dark. Anyhow, yeah. my final story is The Subterraneans. Script oh, this rob- was sad. Sub- yeah, it's okay. Script about Peter Milligan. Art about Jose Casanova. Slutting about Tony Jacob. Another two-pager here. Huge nuclear war destroys the whole, the whole Earth. Only a few survivors remain living in underground tunnels for untold generations. At last, the time has come for them to leave the darkness and return to the light. They exit the tunnels. And oh no, they're actually moles ruining some dude's garden. Don't get exploded, you varmints. Oh man, but they're so cute. Look, they look so sad as they run away and he's just destroying their adorable home. Yeah, tell that, to that crazy guy that explodes varmints all the time. Oh, that was weird. That was weird. And speaking of weird, Fox, hey, that's it for our coverage. Oh, my God. Of, um, Krug's 362-364, March and April of 1984. The only one question remains, my good friend, which is what were your top and bottom thrills? 
Dude, this one's going to be super easy for me, even though all of them are definitely yes. I'm, I can't not say Strong Tomb Dog. Nice. Um, it's rough, because uh, normally I kind of explain around this. All of these are perfect, especially Dragon Heist. So perfect. But mm-hmm. uh, this is like a straight-up Strong Tomb Dog story that feels like it was going to last a while, and I hadn't looked at anything or talked to you about it, and to hear you say it's lasting for as long as it does really gets me excited. Nice. Um, the story setup is just, like, for me, it's perfect. It's a revenge story. It's a wink and a nod if you already know it. If you don't, like, it's already starting out the gate fun. Gronk is there. Gronk is, like, at least worth a billion points. I'm just so happy. At least a billion. Right now. Uh, in terms of bottom man, you know what? Uh, comedy comes in threes. Uh, fuck you, future shocks. I don't care. Ben, ben, ben. <laughs> Everything right. else was great. And all right, if I if I do have to put, like, I'm gonna start calling. Of that. No, no, it's it's fine this time. But I'm gonna start calling fouls on you on you picking future shocks. At least if they're like, especially when there's only three. You know, that's not a ton. All right, but. look, look, I. <laughs> Well, because there's only technically three rogue troopers, and I would have done the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's different. That's you know my what next. I, you know what I mean? Okay, no, next I one is, is is rogue. That's it's definitely fine. rogue trooper. I'm. It's fine. Yeah, like it's. I'm ready. I'm ready to see where this is going. I already have the proof, right? Like I figured it out by the first thing, right? Yeah, that's like, true. Let's let's move along here. Like there, there doesn't need to be extra proof showing me that rogue trooper was not genetically engineered to have a mind. Yeah. Next episode. Yeah. Last episode, you you did immediately say that he was a traitor. And that's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Hold on. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh God, that was bad. Uh, so Conrad. Yes. We've had such an amazing debate just this moment mm-hmm. about my personal choices. Yes. But Conrad, the world wants to know what. Your top and bottom thrills for April. Oh man, embarrassment of riches! This this episode, Fox. Um, I Strong really, I really like the slain story. Uh, this Dr. and Quinch story is awesome and really hilarious too. Just like with its caricatures and just like the confusion of what's going on with the script and stuff like that. I like it a lot. Um, but and uh, I really like this dread story too. Like Sector House Nine is real neat. Um, I also really liked like this, uh, just, just these two one-off ones of sort of a slice left of Mega City 1-1 with, uh, the slummies and then just a fun, like, gothic story that's a little different than your standard dread fair, um, in the, uh, house on Runner's Walk. But my number one, I gotta agree with you, has gotta be Strontium Dog. This is a great yeah. story and it starts so strong and just the three we covered, like, has all this action it's got intrigue it's got these returning characters from portrait of a mutant that i'm incredibly excited about um and yeah it's just a great it's a great start to this to the to this story for sure uh and for my bottom i'm gonna go solidarity and say and say uh rogue trooper buddy um, Dude, full alignment. I want to give a shout out to uh, to Lobo Baggins on the uh, 2080 forum who so said, um, "Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he's coming up on one of these guest stars, but whatever." Um, he said on the 2080 forums, "Post Eye of the Traitor, it increasingly looks like Rogue Trooper has forgotten about the main quest and has become determined to finish all the side missions, even the stupid ones and the weird off kilter dream sequence one. He even dodges out of an NPC trying to railroad him back into hunting for the Traitor General at one point, which oh, that's great. was so true for me, <laughs> like." This like all these stories, the Gazba and uh, this one, yeah. the 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 one like the time slip one where he just had a weird dream where he was in the in, in the twentieth century, like a, yeah. a couple episodes. Like what? 
They all just feel like random things that, like, if you're in an open-world video game, are just sort of there to occupy your time instead of doing the main story, you know? Because, because, yes. like, when, especially, like, he was, like, like Lobo was saying, like, when, um, Colonel Covert offers Rogue a, uh, the location of the, uh, Trader General, he just says no, like, what's going on, you know? Um, and now, like, this just feels like, a side quest of like, you know, like, oh, it's like the, whatever the thing. And maybe you get like a special, like the telekinesis power at the end of it. You know, it's like, it's just total like video game wheel spinning almost, but oh, like in 1984, really you know, sorry, that just, that analogy really, um, went up Resonated. my flagpole. I, yeah, yeah it, it, it really spoke to me. So, um, that's because this is horseshit. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, yeah, you know, we're, uh, we're, Kind of close to Rogue Trooper getting back on track, but it is one of these things where these ones have been decent and sort of it's hard to sort of be yeah. like, like week to week, like, ah, these aren't that great or these, or, you know, these are fine. It's just sort of, you know, okay. it's staying kind of, the, kind of the same, but it's increasingly paling in comparison yes. to Dread, Slain, Strontium Dog and all the other, Look, you I, know, the stuff that's lot and, and NDR and Quinch too, just on the opposite end of the, of the humor spectrum. You know what I mean? I just want to say, like, it's okay. Like, when you and I say something like this, like, I bet you when I when I finish this sentence, you will either laugh or be like, yeah, that was awesome. Uh. He killed a man with a skull. Today. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Like, <laughs> like I, <laughs> right? Like, we don't, we don't hate this comic by any stretch of the imagination. I'm less than impressed anymore, right? Like, yeah. it, it built itself up a little bit, and now I'm just kind of getting tired of the same thing. Yeah. But that I'm... doesn't mean... That he didn't just kill that guy with a skull that he Fair. threw in his chest. Yeah, right? like, I mean, God yeah. damn. Again, it, it is one of these things where it's not like it's um, it's like I'm not dreading it or anything like that. But it is no, definitely no. one of these things where, like, of these comics, of of the real comics, not counting Future Shocks or something, Strontium Dog is definitely the one that, yeah, that I'm less, ex- I'm the least excited about, and I'm just sort of like, all right, like let's keep going, you know. And that's what yeah. the purpose, but the purpose of the bottom thrill is, so it's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we get to be snooty asshole critics now because there's too much delicious uh, cakes for us to eat. Yeah, that the least delicious cake. Uh, gets put on the bad boy list. I mean, I it's, it's our mandate Such a bad to... analogy. I don't... Why do you let me say shit like that? It's our mandate to choose who the bad boy cake is. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we... That's what we, what, what, what we set up to do oh. like 113 episodes ago. I, I, and what, by God, I, we're going to keep do doing it. that as a tattoo. <laughs> do it. Anyhow. It's our mandate. Our goddamn mandate. <laughs> to determine who the bad boy cake is. Yes. And I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Oh. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at spacebinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacebinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter at spacebinner2k for everything else. Spacebinner2000, we're there, buddy. Uh, and then come back next time as Johnny Alpha makes his escape. We briefly get behind the amazing Maze Dumar. Uh, DR and Quinch finish going to Hollywood. Slain oh. completes the dragon heist. And Mega City One gets a new mayor. I'm so excited because you said orangutan, and that's like the best kind of ape. Get hype. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we oh, shit. are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid for
Fox. Yes. I want to uh, talk about Dr. and Quinch go to Hollywood and name all these cameos, but not say that Marlon is, is Marlon Brando, if that's okay with you. That's fine with me. <laughs> all right. I don't want to look this up. Um, do, 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 do. Conrad's looking things up. Conrad's looking things up. He's looking on the internet to make sure his facts are right. He's like the Wikipedia of comic books. People super jealous and uh, something that rhymes with books like crooks or hooks or... Or all his looks, buddy. Looks. They're jealous of all my looks. Uh, I mean, I, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on medicine. What's your excuse? I'm so glad I I recorded this part. Anyhow. uh, (laughs) Oh, no. Fuck no. Oh, no. I'm just going to be quiet. (laughs)